Would you take your Bible and turn, please, to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16. As I mentioned earlier, Independence Day, a few days from now, should bring out of our hearts gratitude for those great men and women who founded our nation, a desire in their hearts for religious liberty. Of course, one of the greatest, maybe the greatest of our founding fathers was George Washington. And in my possession, I have a picture, this one, of George Washington, the general of the Continental Army, praying in the snows of Valley Forge. The Continental Army had just suffered two major defeats with the British. In December of 1777, they were bivouacked in this very difficult, hard, brutal, cold area, living in tents, trying to build some huts. 2,000 of the 12,000 troops died of disease. Nine out of ten had inadequate shoes to wear. Even many of the businesses would not sell to them because the paper money didn't seem to be worth anything. They were without food and firewood so many times. Amazing, challenging, difficult. But George Washington knew where to find help in time of need. This picture of him praying in the snow reminds us, though, of his prayer life. Because, you see, every morning from 5 till 6, every day of his adult life, he would go to the Lord in prayer and in the Word. He would kneel before an open chair with an open Bible on that chair and then intercede for his troops, for his nation, and in praise to God. He would do the very same thing every night, retiring at 9 o'clock. Same room, same chair, same Bible, same God. And God has answered not only his prayers for the beginning of our nation, but its continuance. And we need to continue praying and drawing near, praying for our leaders all the way from President Biden to our local uh, beloved representatives like Senator Scott and Representative Donalds. But God is calling each of us to draw near to Him. In this series that I've entitled Whatever, we saw last week the words of Mary to the servants in the wedding of Cana. Whatever He says to you, do it. Whatever Jesus says. And today, I believe in this particular time in the life of our nation, and in our lives particularly personally, we need to remember whatever you need from God, approach Him for it. Turn with me and stand, please, to honor God's Word in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, though many other translations give a great deal of light to the truth in Scripture. And you read from yours or just listen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are, yet without sin. Now here's the key verse. Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless His Word to us today. In Jesus' name, be seated, please. Jesus Himself said in John 14, 13, Whatever, now notice that word, whatever you ask in prayer in My name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. We need to discover throne life, coming to the throne of grace more than perhaps any other time, in our nation. The throne of God, of course, is located in heaven and is always a picture of God's sovereignty, glory, majesty, and judgment, but also of grace as we draw near. What need do you have today? What needs are in our nation? Let's approach God. Now, there are four powerful visual symbols here. And I want you now to put on your scuba gear. We're going to dive down deep and stay a little longer, perhaps, than you're accustomed to. There are more scriptures in this message than there will probably be the rest of the series. So, are you awake? All right. Now, first of all, here's the first symbol. There is a torn veil before the throne of grace. If you have a copy of the scripture, I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22. This is a, a summary verse. There's, there are many themes in Hebrews that are repeated again and again concerning drawing near. But here's how and why we can draw near. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. What a picture this is, the veil. Jesus is not only the Lamb of God who died for our sins, but He is also the great high priest over the house of God. And the Scripture says that He is not only great, but He is the high priest of our confession in Hebrews 3.1. Now, in the Old Testament, until Jesus' death, the people worshiped God in context of the temple, or earlier, the tabernacle. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest would enter through the holy place and then through a huge curtain into the Holy of Holies, where the power manifested glory of God dwelt. Once a year, one man, and then on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, he would make sacrifice for the sins of the people. But that veil was amazing. It was very significant. It was a huge curtain. It took 200 men to erect it. 
60 feet high, 30 feet wide, 4 inches thick. And at the moment when Jesus died on the cross and paid the debt for our sins, saying, it is finished, that veil was torn from top to bottom by the hand of God. Only God could have done it. Could you imagine the high priest at that moment when the veil is ripped asunder? Oh, I'd love to see the video of that. But all of a sudden, the veil was torn, and it indicated now that all of us through Christ can enter into by this living way of, of the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus into the holy of holies of God, into the very presence of God himself. Now, the, whole, the high priest was obviously a sinful human being. Many of them were more sinful than most. But every time he would enter, he would wear a unique robe. And Exodus pictures that robe, and on the hem of it, there were multicolored pomegranates and golden bells. And they were on the hem of that robe. Exodus 28, 33-35 describes this, and particularly it says in that passage, that it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he enters and leaves the holy place before the Lord, so that he will not die. And so when they heard the bells tinkle and, and ringing, they knew he was going about the work of atonement for sins. But if the bell stopped ringing for a significant period of time, they knew, uh-oh, there's uncleanness in the high priest, and the wrath of God has struck him dead. And so tradition says a rope was tied around his ankle so that they could pull the corpse out of the Holy of Holies. Whoa. We reproach in the fear of the Lord, don't we? But the bell seemed to stop ringing from Friday until Sunday morning, and then with a loud, resounding ring, he's alive. He died, he was buried, he was raised, he ascended into heaven. And the Bible says, through the heavens, all the way up, up, up to the throne, at the right hand of the Father, the throne of grace. Jesus is alive. And by that new and living way, we can enter in through the veil. What a great promise this is. But, but also there's a second vivid visual symbol. There is a rainbow of hope surrounding the throne of grace. God gave that rainbow after the, the great flood to Noah and his descendants as a promise that he would never again flood the world in destruction. It's a rainbow of hope that God keeps his promises as the faithful heavenly God. Revelation 4.3, John saw it. He who was sitting on the throne was like a jasper stone he saw and a sardiance in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance, John recorded. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. And we hold fast our confession of that faithfulness that we have hope as Hebrews says, as an anchor of the soul. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Hebrews 10, 23 goes on to say in the passage that we read. In other words, hold fast. Don't let go. Don't give up. Don't cave in. Don't go away. Don't fall down and not get up. We hang in there. That gives new meaning to that expression, doesn't it? Get a grip on the hope that we have in Christ. We have hope because we have confidence to enter, to approach the throne. The word confidence used in our text means literally boldness, holy audacity, freedom to speak to God. What an amazing word that is. Now, why do we have that confidence? Because Jesus understands our struggles. When he was tempted, he did not sin his entire life. He could say, been there, didn't do it, and didn't get the t-shirt. He is without sin as our great high priest. Hebrews 7, 26 says, He is wholly innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. That's why he is able to save to the uttermost those who call on him in salvation. Because he, the perfect sacrifice, died for our sins and then was raised from the dead. He understands. And when you come to him in prayer, he doesn't say, whoa, I've never heard of that. He, he understands our struggles. He feels our pain. He sympathizes and empathizes with us. And it's not some Hallmark card of sympathy with gold letters and rhyming words. It's a heart that loves us and says, I understand. I've been there. I've seen it. Captain Ed Snyder was to accompany President Bill Clinton on a helicopter tour of a tornado-ravaged area and town. And when they were about to land in that area with all that devastation around and the survivors heartbroken, Captain Snyder saw the president take a little bottle of Visine and put tears in his eyes so that when he met the people, he could say seemingly with heartfelt tears, I feel your pain. Jesus was the real, authentic, sympathizer, lover of people. And he loves your prayers to him. James 1, 5 and 6 says, But if any of you lack wisdom, boy, is that an understatement. <laughs> Let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach. I claim that verse all the time. Literally, he is the constantly giving God, it says in the original language. And without reproach, he doesn't mock your weakness. He doesn't roll his eyes and say, oh, not you again. I gave you a brain, why don't you use it? Why come running to me all the time? He doesn't make you feel stupid or guilty he understands and he loves to hear you call on his name. We have hope because we have confidence also in Christ's evaluation of our prayers. The psalmist 
In Psalm 141, 2 said, May my prayer be counted as incense before you, Lord. Sometimes we feel that uh, it's just a little prayer. Or we're talking to God, we think it's just bouncing off the ceiling. But in Revelation 8, 3, and 4, we see an angel in John's revelation of the throne of God. And he was holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it. Now get this, the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. You see, your prayers of all Young and old, wise and simple and young and mature, all of us, all prayers are gathered and kept and valued by the Lord. And they are put in that treasured bowl. It is an incense rising up to God as a sweet fragrance. They're not considered too simple or too short. They're not mocked as foolish and uninformed. They are not deleted and discarded. They are kept by God and valued. So don't value His his treasure by just saying, well, I'm just going to pray a little prayer. There is no such thing as a little prayer. They all matter to God. Because our hope is in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who has invited us to come to the throne. It is in His name and His life and His power. Jesus says, I want to talk to you. He doesn't ask you to earn what you don't deserve or perform what you cannot do on your own. His grace is never ending. His love is never failing. His power is almighty. His mercy endures through all generations. His wisdom is unmatched, and He is the one who invites us to call on the Father in His name. But we also have hope because we have confidence in Christ's provision for meeting the conditions of answered prayer. Now, all prayers are valued, but not all prayers are as powerful and fruitful as God desires. You know, all prayers are answered. God says, yes, no, wait a while. Let's let's do this later. But the prayers that prevail, the prayers like those of George Washington that are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds are in certain conditions. And one is in the will of God. That's why in 1 John 5, 14 and 15, It says this, this is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, sometimes we worry that we're asking the wrong thing. Oh, oh, God's going to do it, and everything's going to be messed up because I've prayed. No, listen, don't worry about that. He won't answer a prayer that's not in his will. Don't worry about your prayer. He would prefer your audacity to timidity. Ask boldly with confidence. 
And ask that God will direct your will into His will. But we also pray in the name of Jesus. Now that's not some tack on magic mantra. Jesus said this in John 16, 23. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father for in my name, He will give it to you. I read just this morning in my quiet time, I was in John 16. And verse 24, he said, up until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask that you may receive, that your joy may be full. (laughs) Isn't that great? He wants our joy to be full when we ask in his name. And that means in his divine power, in his perfect will for us, by his merit of right standing before the Father on our behalf, and in His delegated giving of His name to us to pray in that powerful name. Up until now, He said, you haven't asked anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive. Now, James and John heard that, but you know what? They tried to leverage Jesus, and they came to Him like two little boys would come. I want you to do whatever I ask you to do. And the wise parent says, not until I know what it is you're asking. Mark 10, 35, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Wrong use of whatever. And Jesus straightened them out and told them that they would one day drink of the baptism of suffering. Not just sit as the two vice presidents on his right and left hand in his kingdom. We can't leverage Jesus. But we are to ask whatever is in his will, in his name, and in the Holy Spirit. Galatians 4, 5, and 6 says that he might redeem us under the law. That we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons and daughters. Because you are sons, the Lord said, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. And the word cry there was a word used of a little child crying out to his daddy. Aramaic, Abba, Papa, Father, Daddy, I need you. And it's with those arms upstretched that we say, Oh, Father, Abba, Father, I cry out to You. I need You. And the Holy Spirit has been placed in the heart and life of the the believer. And the Word says this about His helping of us in our weakness. Romans 8, 26-27. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses and by the way that's a word that means uh, was used of two men lifting a heavy log he helps our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because that, this is Jesus, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is very hard to understand. But the Holy Spirit always in prayer 
to the Heavenly Father there in the Trinity of the Godhead knows what we should pray for and how to ask. And therefore, He takes our core prayer desires and prays to the Heavenly Father as we should do and would do if we knew what He knows. Are you with me? I saw those glazed eyes. Let me say that again. The Holy Spirit takes your core prayer desire and prays to the Heavenly Father as you should do and would do if you knew what He knows. He helps our weakness. He's putting His prayers inside of ours. But here's a third vivid visual symbol. There is a welcome sign in front of the throne of grace. By invitation only. We have a personal invitation. Prayer and drawing near to Him was God's idea. Not yours. He allows us to ask. And He waits often to give us something until we ask. In James, you have not because you ask not. You've read that probably. I don't understand in the sovereignty and wisdom of God why He waits for us to ask. But He does. And there are some things that God does not do until we ask. And you know what? Just, in think, just if you think, oh, that guy is not Reformed, he's not a Calvinist or whatever. Listen, two of the greatest Reformed thinkers in history, John Calvin... J.I. Packer, both say the same thing that I have just said. That God is calling on us to ask. And if we don't ask, in other words, if we experience blessings without asking and trusting God, our human ego tends to think we deserve that blessing and it's because of who we are and what we do. But it's all of God. Jesus often used the word come for prayer. In James, uh, he said, or John uh, 6, he said in verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So when you have an urge to pray, it's the Father drawing you into his presence to draw near. It's a work of God when you are moved on to pray. And we have therefore a responsibility to respond positively to that call. Again, in James 4, 2, 3, and 8, he said, After you have not because you ask not, you do not, you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. So in other words, asking is not carnal, but sometimes we have the wrong motives in what we ask for. And so we have a personal responsibility, not only to draw near, but to draw away from sin. He went on to say, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. But asking can be orderly and carefully done. And really should be. 
We ought to leave our prayer time saying, what have I asked of God today? And it is important that we, I believe many times, carefully order it. The scriptures says, the scriptures order your prayer to God. This week I, I had to have a, an emergency endoscopy. On Tuesday I'd gotten a huge piece of uh, day-old chicken lodged in my esophagus. I couldn't swallow food or water. And the next day it, it was no better. And so I went into the walk-in clinic and then into the ER downtown. And then they put me in. And I, I was praying that somehow they would work it out for that very day to have an endoscopy for them to deal with this. And not sit around for a day or two or a week waiting while I couldn't eat or drink. And so here's how I prayed. I'm, I'm, I'm just being blunt here. I, I said, Lord, Father, I'm your child. You promised to meet my needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Father, you've called me to live eating and drinking or a part of being alive. Jesus said that and knew that. I ask you to give me something today so that I can pray, give me my daily bread. Lord, I'm not coming to you on the, my, the basis of my good works or track record, but in the name of Jesus, I'm asking you to meet my needs to have an endoscopy today. And it happened. I ordered my prayer to God. But also asking means that we're connecting with God. I always allowed my children to come to my office if they needed to. No closed door. We have access, you know, in the ancient days, no one could enter the king's presence unbidden. That's why Queen Esther risked her life to intercede for her people, the Jews, by entering the king's presence and then asking for something. And that's why the word says she found favor, that is grace, in his sight. In 1977, President Jimmy Carter invited the nation to call him in the Oval Office. On a Saturday from 2 to 4 with Walter Cronkite emceeing the call. And so Americans were allowed to call and then they had to leave their name and information about themselves, and then have, have a call back from the White House. An amazing opportunity. But only a handful of calls got through. I tried to research how many, and one, one source said seven got through and kept having busy signals. When we call on God, He invites us to come into His presence, but you don't have to go through a receptionist. You don't have to have Gabriel screening the call. You don't, do, you don't hear a voice mail that says, press 1 if you want to talk to the Father. Press 2 if you can talk to Gabriel or Michael. Press 3 if it's a big need. Press 4 if it's a small need. Press Five, if you want to know the Heavenly Father's office hours. None of that. We can go and connect immediately wherever we are to the throne of grace. That's why God said to Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things you do not know.
But we also have an honored position before the Lord, as well as that personal invitation. I love this. I looked up many of the times when it says before the Lord. In asking, Hannah was praying before the Lord continually in 1 Samuel 1.13 for God to give her a child. In serving, young Samuel was ministering before the Lord, 1 Samuel 2.18. In waiting, David sat before the Lord in awe. Who am I, O Lord, that you should be so good to me? But also in pleading, Hezekiah spread out a troublesome letter that was threatening their very existence before the Lord. 2 Kings 19.14 In interceding, Moses was pleading with God to spare the people and not judge them in death. And it says, he stood in the breach before him. And later, in Ezekiel 22.30, God lamented there was no one to stand in the gap, no one to intercede for the people. Oh, may that not be true in America today. But we can also come with honest concerns. We have an honored position, but we can come to God's complaint department to the throne of grace. That's right, you heard what I said. Maybe you're angry. You're upset. You question something God has done. Come to Him in your concern. If you read the Psalms, you'll see plenty of times when uh, the psalmist was really hacked off about something. Isaiah 50, verse 8, God declared, Who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case against me? Let him, get this, let him draw near to me. You have a problem? Hey, come you talk to me about it, God says. And that's when you begin to release that hurt. But here's the last symbol Open hands are extended from the throne. Open hands, God offers mercy. That's what Hebrews 4 says. We come with confidence and He gives us mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy says, I will not destroy you for your sin. I will not push you away because you're inadequate or inconsistent. I remember an old country song I heard about the guy comes home, he's really late. Who knows what he's been doing? His wife meets him with an open Bible in one hand and a kitchen utensil in the other. And here's how he pleaded with her, give me one more last chance before you say we're through. One more last chance. (laughs) God says, doesn't, God doesn't say to us, you told me that the last time. You said, oh God, if you just do this, God, I just promise I'll never do this again. God, just one more last chance. And God says, my mercies never fail. Lamentation 3, 22 and 23. God never says we're through. The word says this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
And God offers grace. Oswald Chambers wrote, Prayer is the exercise of drawing on the grace of God now. We receive mercy, but we find grace. We discover that grace in every situation of need that is a vast ocean without bottom or shores. We cannot sail too far. We cannot sink too low in God's grace. We discover His grace again and again. That's because He is the God of all grace, 1 Peter 5.10 says. We give, he gives manifold or multifaceted grace. 1 Peter 4.10. Surpassing grace. In other words, there's nothing better. 2 Corinthians 9.14. Greater grace. James 4.6. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's greater than our failure, greater than our pride, greater than our sin. It's grace upon grace. John 1, 16, for of His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Grace here, grace later. When you've been hurt, you've been hurt by someone, sinned against. God gives grace. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many are defiled. Oh, how we need that grace. And when you have been wounded, God says, my grace is right here and now for you. My son Evan uh, was sometimes challenging. He would have brought James Dobson to his knees, I think. <laughs> Strong will. And finally, I'd had it with him. He'd, he'd blown it one more time. And finally, I, I scooped him up and was taking him to the bedroom for the consequences to be dealt with. I said to him in my preacherese, no more grace for you, young man. And as I'm carrying him to the bedroom, he said, I want more grace. I want more grace. We all do, don't we? We need it. God offers help in the nick of time, in the time of need, the Scripture says. Never early, never late, when and how it is needed. We are not to receive the grace of God in vain. 2 Corinthians 6 says, 1 and 2. Lamentation 3, 55 through 58 speaks about our problem, our prayer, and then His provision. Out of the lowest pit, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from my prayer for relief, from my cry for help. You drew near. Here's His testimony. You drew near on the day I called to you and said, do not fear. Now, this grace, this help, this help is present. We have God as our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of need. 46, Psalm 46.1. It's instant. Nehemiah 2.4, the king said to me, what would you request? And Nehemiah said, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And instantly God gave him wisdom. It's constant. One of my favorite life verses you ought to memorize this one. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound toward you so that you always, having all sufficiency in everything, 
may have an abundance for every good work. It's abundant for all of us. That's why ten times in Hebrews it says, let us, let us. The very book ends with this word, the grace of God be with you all. How we need His grace, His help, and His mercy. I close with this story. Another great American hero was Todd Beamer. On 9-11, United Flight 93 was hijacked by terrorists. And Todd, I think apparently leading a group of brave young men, decided to storm the cockpit and try to deal with them. Before he did so, 32-year-old Todd could not get through on the seat back phone to his wife, Lisa, but he was able to get through to a lady named Lisa Jefferson, a GTE supervisor. He asked her to pray the Lord's Prayer with him, and she did. And then suddenly the phone dropped, and she heard Todd say, Jesus, help me. You guys ready? Okay, let's roll. And then they took the plane away, but it crashed near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and all 44 on on plane died. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever is your need, approach God about it. Would you pray with me right now, please? Would you just consider what is your great need right now? What is the Lord saying to you? Are you willing to listen to Him? Would you draw near and cry out to God and give that to Him? Ask Him for what you need, but do it in the name of Jesus. Trusting the work of the Holy Spirit. Asking Him to direct you in the will of God. Right now, Lord, take take these needs and these burdens. We give you all the praise and the glory. You know that our nation is being hijacked. You know, Lord, we are about to crash unless you and your mercy extend your grace and help. And we cry out for America that you'd heal our land. That you'd draw us to yourself that there would be a a mighty revival that we would cleanse our hands as sinners and purify our hearts. Oh God, we are proud. You resist us, but you give grace to the humble. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.